Hey, Life Canton. Roger here, one of the directors. I'm so glad that you're joining us, whether it's the first time you've heard our podcast or you've been listening for a while. Either way, I do want to remind you that we don't want this just to be a content that you consume, but also a community that you belong to, because we believe that since you belong to God, uh, you belong to us. So be sure to head on over to our Church Center app or our LifeCanton.org page. Fill out a connect card, because that's going to be the best way for us to get to know who you are and get you involved. Also, I want to remind you that every week we have an opportunity to partner with what God is doing at this church, not just in our four walls, but through us in our community. So be sure to take advantage of that opportunity uh, by giving via our Church Center app again or our website. But this week, we are in the last few weeks of our series on Mark. We've been doing that all summer, and it's been so cool to see what we discover and and what we get to focus on when we go chapter by chapter. And this week, we are in Mark 14, and you will actually hear a message by me. Uh, Go ahead and give that a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a moment. My name is Roger. I'm one of the directors here, and I'm just so glad to be with you today. Before I get into my message, one thing I want to say is just thank you for yesterday. For those of you who were here, uh, our volunteers, you know it was Be the Spark, which is our annual training event. And uh, one of the things it always does for me is honestly just re-energizes me as a leader, seeing you all get bought into the vision and excited about what God's going to do this year. uh, Personally, always just fills me with more energy and excitement for the year. So thank you for coming, uh, but also thank you for being the inspiration for what we do around here and why us as leaders get so excited about what God is up to. Uh, Thank you. Uh, If you've been with us for the summer, then you know that we are in the book of Mark. We've been doing this very in-depth study, chapter by chapter, of the Gospel of Mark, and it's been really cool to see some of the things that maybe we miss when we do a quick read or where we go through a lot of Mark at one time. So, so every chapter has just had something to teach us, something to learn. And before I get to where we're going today, I want to start by asking you all a question, and that is, have you ever just felt like you needed an escape? Yeah, yeah, there we go. I got a couple of nods like, okay, you guys are good. I can just, I can just leave. Uh, no, have you ever felt like you needed an escape? I, you know, I, we live in a, a culture that's so high demand, uh, high production, high expectation, and just so busy and just so full of all the things that we have to do. And, and a lot of the times I find that it creates in me and other people I've seen just this pressure to always have to do and say and perform in the right way. And that can create a lot of anxiety and just pressure on our lives. And sometimes that pressure is pretty light, right? Sometimes it's as simple as like, I just really need a vacation right now. How many of you parents or students are in the week two of school and like, I, you know what, I'm done. I just, I just need a vacation. <laughs> so sometimes that pressure is light. Uh, sometimes, metaphorically and physically, that pressure can make us begin to sweat a little bit. Maybe you have uh, tension in a family or a, a relationship with a friend. Maybe you have a promotion or a job opportunity coming up that you know would change the direction and the security of your family. Maybe you have a test coming up that could determine whether you or not you pass or fail the class. Sometimes that pressure just gets a little bit heavier. And then there are seasons where the pressure feels more like being crushed. Maybe you're in a tough spot in your marriage. Maybe you have a friend or a family who is not just sick, but terminally sick. 
Maybe you're a young person and you just, you're not sure what your future holds anymore or where your life is going. Maybe you just live with this overwhelming, pressing sense of anxiety or dread. You don't know why, but it's just there all the time, like a cloud over your head. I know a lot of you uh, in our congregation are either in seasons of crushing pressure or coming out of them. And I'm hoping and praying and believing that God has something for you today. I, I struggled a lot with this idea of escape when I was younger uh, as well. That was always kind of my, my go-to, right? If it was fight or flight, I was usually like, well, I, I can just leave. <laughs> uh, and I actually remember when I was really young, I sometimes, uh, well, often when there was a lot of tension or anger or friction in, in my home, which happened Often or at school, I would start to daydream literally about running away. Uh, we didn't live in a big house, but we, we had one house where it was one level, and my bedroom was up in the front. And I used to always daydream quite frequently about just grabbing like a stick and a bandana and maybe some fruit snacks <laughs> and just like hopping out my window and walking down the street because it's like, that's what I need to survive out on these streets. Uh, <laughs> but that was always just something that was a, a drive in me that I felt um, that need to just escape the more the pressure built. And today I, I want to talk about that pressure, especially when that pressure feels crushing. Are you guys ready to go? I mean, I heard you worshiping earlier. Are you ready to go where the Spirit wants to take us today? Yeah, yeah? even if that place is a little difficult? Yeah, we can do this. So today we're going to talk about a, a scripture in Mark 14 where we see Jesus facing immense pressure and it bega- begins to have an effect on him. And it's actually a scripture that sometimes we may have read and been uncomfortable with, or this is the first time you're going to hear it and you're going to have some questions about this particular story. So today we're going to be in Mark 14. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles uh, if you have them. If not, that's okay. You can just read on the screen. Uh, Before we start this story, there's a lot that happens in Mark 14, and some of it, it, it's important to understand the the relationships and the connections between some of these stories. And one of the ones I want to make sure that we remember before we start reading is one thing that Jesus does in Mark 14 is he gathers all his disciples together during the Passover meal. He gathers them in an upper room. And he teaches them what's called the Lord's Supper, which is something that we do in our churches to this day. It's a meal, a practice of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, so that our relationship with God could be restored and repaired, fixed. And this hadn't happened for the disciples yet, but Jesus was already beginning to prepare them for what was next. I would say this was very much Jesus showing them practically and theologically what he had to do in order to accomplish the task he came to accomplish. So we move from that moment to this, just a few paragraphs later. So this is what our verse for today says. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching with me. So Mark is is doing a couple things in this opening passage of a a very difficult scripture. And one of the things he's doing is he's using words and names to give us a hint about what Jesus is about to experience. Because that that word uh, Gethsemane actually means um, olive pressing or olive crushing. And the garden was actually an olive uh, vineyard where olive oil was made. And, And Mark is kind of giving us a clue 
about what Jesus is about to experience in the garden. And we get this picture as we go through the story of a very different Jesus than we've seen throughout Mark. Often in Mark, Jesus is decisive and and quick and full of mercy and compassion, but often just very in control of the situation around him. That's what we're used to seeing uh, in Jesus. But then we get to this passage and we see a Jesus who seems lost. A Jesus who is struggling, who, who is feeling the, the pressure of, of what is about to happen. Who literally falls on, on his face, is about to fall on his face before his father. We see a Jesus who in many, many ways is under pressure. I think what's kind of happening here is, is Jesus has had this one moment where he talked practically and theologically about what is happened, going to happen to his disciples, and now he's having this other moment where he's done all that, and now he's coming face-to-face with the emotions, the emotional weight of what he has to do. Because as soon as Jesus sets foot off of this garden, literally, he is going to step into custody, into being taken to the cross, into an expectation to be questioned and to be tortured, and then to have nails driven through his hands and his feet and to suffocate and die on a cross. That's a lot of pressure. That's, that's a, a responsibility uh, that many of us can't imagine, uh, let alone imagine knowing what's going to happen as we went into it. And Mark is doing his best to paint a very honest, vulnerable, and raw picture of where Jesus is at emotionally. He uses a couple words that I want to talk about, uh, and I'm not going to talk about necessarily what the Greek is, but more so what those words mean in the Greek. He uses four words. Mark says, Jesus is deeply troubled. That word means overwhelmed, feeling overwhelmed. In this case, Jesus feeling overwhelmed by the reality of what he is about to step into, the pressure of what he is going to have to submit himself to. Mark also says that he is distressed. That word actually means experiencing a deep anxiety. Some of you know what that feels like. Jesus is feeling anxiety over what he has to step into. It also says he's crushed with grief. And this is an interesting word. It's, it's a physical response to what Jesus is about to undergo. I, I wonder if some of you have ever felt that, that pressure, that rock sitting on your chest as you contemplate what you have to do or what you have to accomplish or what's about to happen to you. Jesus was experiencing that very physical discomfort. And then the last word, Mark says that he was feeling crushed to the point of death. And this is a really hard one, a hard one to hear and a hard one to think about in terms of what Jesus was experiencing. But what Mark is saying is either Jesus felt like he was dying or felt like he wanted to. Some of you know that feeling as well. It was so frustrating at times reading all of the scholarly articles and and, uh, commentaries on this verse because I often found people saying, well, Jesus was sad about like some divine plan. He wasn't sad about dying. Like that's too human. I literally found a commentary that said that's that's not deep enough. That's not that's too human. Jesus wouldn't have experienced that and it, it frustrates me because I don't think that's what Mark is trying to do. I think what Mark is trying to do is actually paint a very vivid picture of what Jesus' humanity looks like because when we say that Jesus is human, when scripture says that Jesus was fully human, this is what it's talking about. When we say that we have a Savior who has experienced everything we've gone through, these are the moments that we look to. 
When we say that we have a God who understands us, it's not some metaphorical thing. He came down, took on the flesh of a human, and fully experienced what it was like to live under the pressure and the weight of the human experience. And I'm going to say this a couple times. I want to be crystal clear because I've seen verses like this used in very harmful ways. I want you to hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that Jesus experienced more than you're going through. What I'm not saying is that you should somehow compare your suffering to Jesus and walk away feeling like Jesus experienced more. What I'm not saying is that your suffering doesn't matter because Jesus died on a cross. What I am saying is that Jesus has experienced every sorrow, every grief, every anxiety, every dark, oppressive thought that you have ever went through. What I'm saying is Jesus has been there and he has experienced it and he loves you and understands exactly what you're going through. That's what I am saying. So what does Jesus do with this pressure? What is his response to this oppressive, uh, anxiety-filled, death-feeling pressure? Let's look at the next verse. He went on, Jesus went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible... The awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please make this cup of suffering, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So what is Jesus' response to this crushing pressure that he is under? It's to go to his Father. Openly and honestly. And there's so much uh, about this verse that I could talk about. There's been so many debates and in, in, in theologies and doctrines formed about this verse. This verse and verses like it were actually one of the first verses that cost, caused a church split. So I could do three different sermons on this verse. But here's what I want us to do today and where I really want us to focus our, our thoughts and our processing Pay attention to Jesus' posture as he approaches his father. He does a couple odd things. One of the odd things he does is he throws himself down on the ground. He prays uh, literally on his face before God. And we're kind of familiar with that. We've seen maybe a person uh, pray like that in our churches. But in that time, that was really odd. The typical posture for a, a Jewish person, especially a Jewish male, was to stand straight up, maybe have your face up to the sky and your hands out. It was a very reserved, very uh, reverent posture. So for Jesus to be in this posture of on in the dirt with his face pressed to the ground is abnormal. And it's Mark trying to show you how deep Jesus' anguish is running in this moment. And then he does this other thing. Jesus calls God this word, Abba. And some of you may know this. This is a Hebrew word. It's, it's a uh, familiar term, a term of endearment. It, it'd be similar to uh, like papa or, or dad for us. And as best as we know, in that time, this wasn't a common way to address God. Again, the, the Jewish people had a deep fear and reverence of God, which is good, but so deep that they would never refer to God by something so informal, so uh, endearing, so, so childish. But in this moment, God goes to his father, with everything he is experiencing, with all of his emotions, and comes to him openly and honestly. And then he asks, his prayer is for God to take this cup from him. And this is this cup he's referring to, this cup of suffering is the crucifixion. It's all of the physical, emotional, and, and spiritual pain he's about to experience on the cross. And he says, Father, take this from me. 
Rescue me from this. How many of us have prayed that prayer? Yeah. How many of us, I see some hands, how many of us have, have gone to ask to God and just ask desperately, uh, maybe even on our knees, God, save me from this, take this from me. Maybe uh, you have prayed for uh, a financial windfall to rescue you from debt or just the situation in the bills that you're in. Maybe you have asked for healing, miraculous healing, healing that doesn't make sense for a loved one, someone or yourself. Maybe you've prayed for God to help put your marriage back together. Maybe as a student, you've prayed for a snow day, and I don't mean this in a trivial way. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm thinking about as a student who is so, so deeply anxious and, and under pressure at school that they pray for God to take out the power or, or to bring the snow or to do something so they don't have to go to school and be under that. How many of you prayed that prayer? Here's what I want to say about that prayer. It is good. It is a good prayer. It is an appropriate prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed. If you're in that place and you're, you're crying out to God and you're at telling him, I can't take this. Please end this for me. Take this situation away. That is a good prayer. It is right and it's human. And I think Mark is trying to show us through the example of Jesus that to go to our Father and to cry out for rescue is what we should do. To go to him and to go to each other and be honest about where we're at, that's a good prayer. So if you're in this room and you're holding that prayer in your heart and you're feeling any kind of anxiety or shame or embarrassment from having that prayer, don't. That's how God wants you to come to him. That's when God wants you to come to him. And Jesus modeled that to us. But notice how he ends his prayer. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We don't always add that, do we? We don't always, we don't always say, God, please rescue me from this suffering, but only if you want to. But to, to be honest, that's a hard prayer. That's Jesus both being honest and vulnerable about how he's suffering and then saying, God, I, I give you uh, my obedience to the point that if you don't want to remove this for me or if you won't remove this from me, then just let your will be done. That's a hard prayer to follow. But that's what he does. Jesus puts God's purpose above his escape. He's clearly wrestling with a desire to want to go get away from it. But because of his love and his trust and a father who cares for me, he says, I can bear it. I will stay under this pressure because I know that you're up to something. Jesus had no doubt that what he was going through was being used by God for his purpose. He had no doubt that even death would not overcome God, that God may allow him to be under his crushing, but that he would not allow for it to destroy him. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was in control, and because of his love and his trust in his Father, he said, let your will be done. So there's two parts to that prayer that Jesus models for us. And here's the thing, unlike us, Jesus had the power to, to escape. 
right? He's on the cross and, and people are mocking him and throwing out insults. And one of them says, if you're the son of man, then get down. And he could have. He could have gotten down. He could have uh, went a different way out the garden. He could have escaped into the night with his disciples, but he didn't because his love and his trust and his father kept him there under the pressure. I've talked a lot about Jesus. He's not the only person or people in this story. I want to talk about the disciples for a moment because Jesus wasn't the only person under pressure in that garden. So look at Mark uh, 37. 1437. Then he returned Jesus and found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. You know what the last words in Mark's story before this, this story are? It's this moment between uh, Peter and Jesus where Jesus tells him, you are going to betray me and deny me three times. And the, literally the last sentence before this verse is Peter saying, I would not do that, I will die for you. And then we go into this story. And Peter has an opportunity to live up to his words. Here's the thing, though. Uh, these, these three that Jesus pulls aside, uh, Peter, uh, James, and John, these are what we sometimes call Jesus' inner circle. These are the disciples on which he placed the most responsibility and the most burden. And these three, up to this point, had all confessed that they would either suffer or die for Jesus. That they would do that. So Jesus is not just bringing these three disciples or all the disciples to this garden for his comfort. I think he is doing that. He, need, he needs a friend in that moment, but he's also bringing them to test them. Actually, the, the scripture says uh, that Jesus uh, is going to warn them against uh, temptation. But, but a better word for that is actually testing. It's less temptation and more testing. Jesus was literally testing them because the disciples were also under pressure. The disciples were actually about to face a lifetime of pressure. They, they have two, two things about to happen to them. The first thing is Jesus is about to be tried and crucified in a very public trial. The Roman authorities and the Jewish officials and their peers are going to ask them uncomfortable questions, are going to persecute them, and, and sometimes even threaten them with violence. And that's just the immediate pressure of the next few days. After that, Jesus would return and call these disciples together and tell them, command them to go start not a church, the church, to begin the movement of Christ followers on the earth to preach sermons and to shepherd others through difficult situations and to spread the gospel and to go on missionary journeys that we cannot imagine, to experience physical violence on the behalf of their Savior. In fact, all but one of the disciples was martyred for their faith. So talk about pressure. They're about to enter into more pressure than they've ever seen, and, and it's going to continue for the rest of their life. So you, you see this moment where uh, Jesus, even in his suffering and his anxiety and everything he is dealing with, he is doing his best to also prepare his disciples for what's coming for them. That's who he is. 
Notice he calls Peter Simon. This is a name that uh, Peter had before Jesus made his disciple. It's his way of almost saying, Peter, pay attention. I need you to be vigilant. I need you to notice what's happening. I need you to pass your test. And he, he warns them about their spirit and their flesh or their body. And Jesus, when he's talking about spirit, that's the word for inner self. He's talking about uh, us at our best. Not us at our best performance, but us at our best connection to God. When we are letting him tell us who we are and letting him uh, guide our lives and we're being obedient to where he is taking us. That, that is their spirit. That is their best inner self. And then the flesh is all of the distractions. Not just uh, the distractions of the body, like being tired, but also social pressures or religious expectations. All of those things that could derail them from this moment when Jesus is calling them to stay strong in their spirit, to stay strong in their inner self, to be the, the men, the people, uh, the women that God called them to be, to be obedient to their Father. He is warning them against that testing, against sliding into the flesh. And what does he tell them to do? He tells them to stay vigilant in prayer, to guard against the flesh by deep, intentional, long prayer. How do they do? They do a good job? No. <laughs> no, the, the, the rest of the story is that uh, they escape. They, they crumble. They, they fail in kind of two regards. And in one regard, they choose escape from their pressure by literally falling asleep. <laughs> they pass out. They're not able to do it, even as they see Jesus. I mean, Jesus is having this moment where in other Gospels, it tells us that he sweated blood. And in the middle of that, and, and God, uh, Jesus asked them to be there and comfort him, they all fall asleep. That'd be like seeing one of your best friends weeping and just being like, I hear you, but... <laughs> they fall asleep, but they also fail when Jesus goes to the cross. All of them but one run away. They succumb to the pressure of the Roman Empire and their peers and religious leaders, and they run away. They escape out from under the pressure. They literally fall asleep on the job and run away. And I think Mark could, could do a lot to tell us, you know, they, they, they were up late praying. They were up late being taught. They were up late partying. But he doesn't. He just says, Jesus asked them to stay vigilant and to watch him, and they didn't. They failed. And I think what Mark is trying to do, one of the things he's trying to do, is he's trying to highlight the strengths of Jesus, not of his divinity, but of his humanity. The fact that Jesus could come face to face with all these emotions and this pressure and this crushing and walk out of it still fighting the temptation of his flesh, his human flesh, to depend on his father. They're kind of the foil to, to what Jesus is doing. So we have this moment where the disciples have failed. I have to wonder if Jesus knows they're going to continue to fail in the next few days. And what does Jesus do? We often see in the scriptures, we'll see him pull the disciples together and either give them a teaching or give them a scolding or ask them questions or sometimes tell them a parable. And they're like, I don't know what that means, but I, I, I think I'm going to try better. Uh, but... Does he have one of those moments now? Does he pull them in and does he counsel them or teach them or scold them? Look at the, the next few verses. When Jesus returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. 
Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. I'm going to do this one more time. I want you to hear what I'm not saying. What I am not saying is that your experience doesn't matter. What I am not saying is that by being obedient to God, you should somehow stifle or hide all of your emotions. What I'm not saying is that those emotions are not incredibly valuable in a part of being a human being trying to follow and be obedient to God. What I'm saying is that that's all very much a part of who we are as beings made in the image of God. When we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus' choice to obey the Father does not alleviate his experience. Because this, this, these couple of verses are really confusing. There's been a lot of debate. There's this weird moment where Jesus comes and says, go ahead and go to sleep. No, wait, just kidding, get up. Like it, We're trying to figure out what he's, what he's doing. And, and, and the Greek gets a little weird here too. So there's kind of two explanations. One is my preferred, but it's fine. The first one is that Jesus is just resigned. He's saying, you know what? I, I tried to prepare you. Um, I tried to test you and get you ready but it, we're done. The test is over. They're here to get me. So that's one. And that's Jesus kind of, I think, wrestling with resignation and just deep sorrow. The other one is that Jesus is being sarcastic and sassy. He's like, go ahead, sleep. Doesn't even matter. I like that one. <laughs> it could be one or the other. But either way, regardless of whichever it is, what we see is that Jesus has not cut off his emotion. He's not done processing. He's not done grieving. He's not done lamenting. And even in the middle of accepting that God will not take that away from him, he's still carrying those emotions and those experiences into his obedience to God. So please hear me when I say, if you are here and you are struggling to be obedient to God and you're trying, but you still have all of these emotions of shame or guilt or sorrow or pain or grief, those are okay. This is a place for those emotions too. This is a place and a God to bring and a father to bring those emotions to. So what do we do when we feel crushed? I think sometimes our tendency is to look at verses like this, um, especially as we've been Christians for a while uh, and we form ideas about theology and about Jesus, is to look at these verses and say, like, well, that's what Jesus did. I can't do that. But, but I don't think that's what Mark's trying to do. I think Mark is trying to teach us something through the example of Jesus. So when we feel crushed... We endure because he endured for us. You know what stands out to me about uh, this, this reading when I was going through it this time? It occurred to me, this isn't for Jesus. Everything he's experiencing, all of these emotions, all of this pain, all of this suffering, all of this pressure, it's not for him. He's perfect. He has no sin. There's no character flaw to correct or, or character adjustment that God is trying to make. It's for others. All of this suffering is because he's going to the cross to die for your sake, for my sake, for our sake. That teaches us two things. First of all, it teaches us that sometimes what you are going through, what God is doing in what you are suffering under is not for you. It's not. Sometimes it's for someone around you. Sometimes people are looking at you as you go through a season of crushing and seeing how you trust and how you love God and how you go to him and how you pray to him. And they are encountering God through what God is doing with you. So sometimes it's not for you. It also teaches us that God loves us. 
It teaches us that beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us and cares for us in our crushing. I, uh, Pastor Jared uh, shared some articles with me that taught me something really cool about the, the process of making olive oil um, as in that time. Go ahead and throw that picture up for me. So uh, like I said, olive oil was made by, at that time by grinding it between two heavy rocks. And there was actually uh, a multi-level process. It could be ground up to three times. And the first time, the, the grinding is for oil for lamps. It's for light, which is kind of funny how God works because we sang a song today about Jesus being the light of the world, about Jesus being the example of who God is and the example of how to follow God. The second crushing, though, the second time that those olives are ground between two heavy stones, the, the oil is for medicine. Jesus is also the great physician. Right? He is the one who heals us, not just of physical ailments, but of deep, emotional, traumatic wounds that go beneath the flesh. He was crushed so we could be healed. But the third time that, that olive, those olives are ground between two stones, that oil, the purest oil, is used to make soap. One of the things we celebrate when we get baptized and when we come together as a community to celebrate baptism is how Jesus' blood washes away every imperfection and, and sin and shame and struggle that we have and brings us back into a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was crushed in this passage. We see him go to prayer three times, find his disciples sleeping three times. But he was crushed for you. He didn't do that because it was a responsibility because he had to. He did that because he loved you. God did that because he loves you. God did that because he wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that even if you don't understand what he's doing and what he's up to, he cares about how you feel, what you experience, how you are feeling ground under the pressure. Those are things that he cares about deeply. God loves you. But what about... When it feels like too much. What about when we reach these seasons where we, we understand that God is doing something? We understand that we can trust him. We understand that he's in control, but we just want out. Or we can't take it anymore. As good as God is, we're at our limit. In those seasons, we run to the one who can bear our crushing. We go to the one who can bear our crushing. Look at uh, Hebrews 4. 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. We run to the one who can bear our crushing. When I, uh, as I grew older, my desire to escape, my tendency to want to escape, it didn't change. Uh, I, as a grown adult, I still have moments where I either want to just leave the conversation I'm in because I don't like conflict, um, or I want to emotionally dis, uh, disengage from the person that I'm talking to because I feel unsafe. These are still things I struggle with. Uh, that worked fine for me. <laughs> Until I got married. No, hold on, hold on. I'm making a serious point. Until, until I got married, because when you get married, 
you commit to being there for someone else in the difficult seasons. You commit to caring for them. You commit to not escaping or abandoning them, but to loving them and showing them the love of God. So when I got into a marriage, all of a sudden my desire to escape wasn't going to fly anymore. And not only because it hurt my wife, but because I had committed to being there under the pressure, even when things got to the point of feeling like we were being crushed. So I'm not perfect. I definitely still have moments where I do some of those things. I try to escape conversations or, or avoid difficult things we're going through. But when I'm at my best, when I'm secure in my Father and, and his love he has for me, when I'm thinking about the model of Christ and, and what he did for me, I go to God and I stay under the pressure. Not just for me and the sake of my marriage, but for the sake of our family and what God is trying to do for both of us. This verse reminds us that Jesus bore something that we probably couldn't. Crucifixion on a cross, a life of testing. Things that he didn't have to do, but things that he chose to do because he loved us. And at the end of the day, when we can't bear it, when we can't take it, when I'm in a situation with my wife, I'm like, I can't, I don't have the strength or the answers or the solutions to fix this. God can. Now, that doesn't mean he's always going to stop your situation, but what it does mean is he will remind you of his son who proves beyond a shadow of doubt that he loved you. And what he will do is send you his spirit who will fill you with peace and grace in moments that do not make sense that could not have come from anywhere else but him. And what he will do is weep with you. Carry all of your burdens. Bear the weight of what you are going through. And he will not let you be destroyed. He is up to something. He is in control. He loves you. And he can take it. So sometimes uh, when I bring action steps to my sermon, sometimes I like to do something for the week for us to do as a community. But sometimes... It feels like in the moment there is something that God wants us to do together. And I have one of those for you today. I think the, this may be the simplest action step that I've ever found in a verse without any kind of like me having to take notes. It's pray like Jesus. Because what did he do with his disciples as they were falling asleep and struggling? And, and what did he do as he was being crushed under the weight of his responsibility? He prayed. He fell to his knees and he prayed. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going I'm to ask everyone to stand up. Um, I want us to... Go to our Heavenly Father, not just in prayer like it's a, a job or a duty or a task, but I want us to go to him openly and, and honestly and vulnerability. So I want us to assume a position that maybe some of us have assumed, but maybe not all of us. Uh, we're together as a community going to go to our knees, uh, or you can sit on the floor. Uh, if you're able, if you're not, that's okay. Assume a posture for you that feels like you are placing yourself vulnerably and openly and honestly before God. So we're going to go to our knees and we're just going to pray. And then we're going to have the worship band come up and lead us to a moment of worship. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for sending the sacrifice of your son to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you do love us. God, some of us today are coming to you crushed. Some of you are coming to us in the crushing, but we are anxious, we are scared, we are fearful, we are feeling the weight physically in our bodies of what is happening to us. We are weeping. 
We are grieving. So God, we come to you today with all of that on full display. In this place where your spirit is, in the place where we were reminded of your son, of his sacrifice, we come to you bearing all of that and we fall to our knees because there is nothing else that we can do. God, we are at the end of our rope. We are at the end of our strength. We are at the end of our ability to just keep pressing through it. That won't cut it anymore. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. God, in this moment, we ask that you would remove it from us, that you would rescue us, that you would take this suffering from us, that you would provide us escape, a way out, some kind of relief. God, we ask for that with every fiber of our being, but we also ask that your will be done. We ask that if you're up to something, something that requires us to be under this pressure for a while longer. God, provide us with the strength and the love and the peace and the joy and the spirit to persevere. The ability to trust in you, to know that you love us, to know that you're in control and to stay here in this place, this difficult place. God, be with us. Not over us, but beside us. Let us remember your son. Let our tears be met with your love. Let our crying out be heard by you. God, we come to you now, and we ask for rescue or peace. Be with us today. I want to invite you to stay where you are. I'll join you in it. Um, For some of us, this is really uncomfortable physically, actually. And that's okay. I want you to feel that. I'm just mindful of those of you who have uh, maybe come from a Catholic background. And I've often heard in conversations where um, that was hard for you because there was, you know, we didn't know when to stand or when to sit or when to kneel. And it was just sort of this rhythmic rote process. And I understand um, that maybe you got to that place where it didn't have any meaning anymore. So I wonder if we can reclaim the meaning of what that experience was for you in this moment right now that there is, there is meaning to our physiological actions, our bodily actions. Uh, because when we get into certain postures and positions, whether it's putting our hands out or kneeling or laying down on our face, our body reminds us of what's going on in our heart and our soul and our mind. And so allow your body to tell you how God is meeting you right now. It's an important thing to pay attention to. And then as you are able, if you are able, to rise to your feet, not because you have the strength, you have the power or the willpower within yourself or enough stamina to meet God or to escape the pressure, to escape the suffering, but to acknowledge that God is meeting you right there in your pit right there in your hell that you are facing. He's not up at the top just calling you up saying, come on, figure it out, get all cleaned up, get up here to where I am. No, he joins you in the middle of your suffering, in your pit. And our world, our culture tells us that we've got to get it all figured out. We've got to get all cleaned up. But we don't have the strength. And so this song that we're about to sing, there is nothing left for us to do but to run into his arms, his open arms. There's nothing left for you to do. 
You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough power. And that's okay because he takes on the pressure for you. And so you can throw that pressure onto him. You can cast all your anxiety, all your fear onto him because he cares for you. There's nothing left for us to do but to run into his arms. Let's sing that and worship those words. Worship with that mindset together. Let's sing.
You clap and praise God for being with us, his presence with us. Amen. Welcome back. I hope that you had a chance to not just listen to the message, but also listen to the worship song and a little bit of Jared's uh, prayer. I included those because I didn't want this just to be a moment where you faced Jesus' humanity, Jesus crushing or, or reflected on your own crushing and stayed there. There are times and places and seasons for that, but I wanted this to be a moment where we as a community could come face to face with what we are wrestling with and then release some of it to God and to, and to Jesus. So I, I hope you got a chance to listen to the worship song as well. Uh, but I hope that you have a blessed week. If you are, if there's any way that you need support, whether that's prayer or, or encouragement or anything else, please let us know. Again, the connect card is going to be the best way to communicate some of those needs to us. We would love to support you, encourage you, take care of uh, the needs that we can take care of. Uh, we are a community and we are in this together. Be sure to fill that out. I hope you have a blessed week, a wonderful week. I hope that this week you encounter your Heavenly Father in a way that is vulnerable, honest, and open. And we'll see you again real soon. Bye.